recently I met with two young couples who are getting married this summer. And when I do premarital counseling, I always ask couples to do an online assessment. I get a printout from that and then we go over it and it looks at their relationship in several major areas. And, and one of the things that jumps out at me because it's almost always true is that young, young engaged couples are idealistic. I know that doesn't surprise you. You know, young love is idealistic and looks at things through rose-colored glasses, and 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 they underestimate the work that it's going to take for their love to survive the challenges, to prosper and grow through the challenges in life that's going to come to them. They think love is all they need. They're very idealistic, unrealistic, if you would, and we get that. But those of us who've been married for any length of time understand that the longer we're together as the years pass, we begin to understand each other, know each other better. We see the things that we like, and let's just be honest, we see things we don't like as much, those things that bless us and those things that irritate us. And when love is real and love is strong and love grows, we understand that ultimately we love people not only because of the things that are good, we love them anyway when it comes to those things that irritate us. We don't allow the irritations to destroy the love. We continue to love them. We love them anyway. And it's equally true that in the give and take of the relationship over the years, we begin learning things about ourselves. We begin to learn things about me that irritate my wife or things about you that irritate your husband, uh, your spouse. And many times I've said that love is simply this. Love is two imperfect people choosing to love each other anyway. And as the years pass and you realize that your spouse is a great person but not a perfect person, that saying becomes very true to you. Love is two imperfect people choosing to love one another anyway. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, in true confession, I, I struggled with what to title this message. I thought about titling it uh, 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 Loving Imperfect People. Another title was Learning to Love. Or another one, growing in love. And all of those are true. But the, the, the title I settled on for this message is Mature Love. Because you see, mature love sees the person we love for who they really are, not an idealized version of them. We see them for who they really are, including the things that irritate us, the, the faults that they have, and we love them anyway. And immature love never learns how to do that. And God wants us to love one another, especially within our family, with a mature love that sees people for who they are, blesses them, and loves them anyway. When we see those irritable things, those faults in their lives, we love them anyway. And I want us to use the story of, of some brothers, the brothers of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis. So if you'll open your Bible there to chapter 42, please. Last Sunday, we looked at the story of Joseph and how he's an example for us to encourage us how to survive, if you will, and thrive through the ups and downs of life. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph, but our focus is not on him. It is on his brothers. You'll remember that Joseph was number 11 of 12 sons born to Jacob. And uh, Joseph and his younger brother, Benjamin, were his favorites because they were the children of his old age and the children of Rachel, his wife that he loved with all of his heart. And, and he played favorites. Joseph was his favorite, and then later Benjamin would be his favorite, and all the other brothers knew it. 
And you remember from last Sunday that when Joseph was a teenager and, and Jacob had been showing favoritism toward him, it created problems. His brothers, his older brothers, uh, were jealous. They were upset. All of us understand that. In fact, the Bible in Genesis says they had hatred for Joseph and they spoke harshly to him. And things reached a boiling point where one day, when their father was not around, they sold their brother forcibly, forcibly kidnapped and sold their brother Joseph as a slave to a caravan of traders on their way to Egypt. And then when those traders arrived in Egypt, they in turn sold Joseph as a slave. And he would spend the next 13 years of his life as a slave in Egypt, many of those years as a prisoner. And uh, his brothers, meanwhile, told their father, Joseph's father, Jacob, that Joseph had been attacked by a wild animal and was dead. But as the years passed, things happened. God did a work in Joseph's life down there in Egypt, and, and he was eventually released through a series of events. He was released from prison and in time elevated to the number two position in the entire nation of Egypt. He was the second most powerful man in that country. Only the Pharaoh had more authority than he did. And during seven years of good crops and good harvest, Joseph led the nation of Egypt to save their food because it was going to be followed by seven years of severe famine. And you can literally say Joseph saved the people of Egypt. When that famine came to Egypt, it also hit the, the promised land. It, it was a severe famine in Canaan where his brothers and their dad and, and, and their families were living. And when it, when it got really bad and they had run out of food, Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to buy food for their families. And, and, and that's what we're going to read about in um, Genesis 42. And, and, and here's what I want us to learn. When you, when you look at how his brothers behaved when they were in Egypt, it was so radically different than how they had behaved 13 years earlier when they sold Joseph as a slave. And in the change that took place in them, you and I can learn some important lessons. We can learn what a mature love actually looks like. We can learn how to grow in love and be able to love people because of who they are, which includes the good and the bad, the things that we appreciate about them and the things that irritate them. We irritate us about them. We can learn from his brothers. So in Genesis 42, if you have your Bible, let's read together starting at verse 1. The Bible says, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? Well, let's do something about this. Verse 2, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there. And buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. And then, verse 3, the ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother, Benjamin, with his brothers. For he said, I am afraid that harm will befall him. He said, I don't want anything bad to happen to Benjamin. Really don't want it to happen to the other sons, but, but I really, really don't want anything bad to happen to Benjamin. Benjamin was his favorite, just like Joseph had earlier been his favorite. Verse 5. And so the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine the famine was in the land of Canaan also. And so it's, it's not just that there was famine in Egypt. There was famine in that whole region of the world, if you will, and, the, and people from everywhere were coming to Egypt to buy food, including 
Joseph's brothers, who had not seen him, listen to this, they had not seen him in over 20 years. In over 20 years, because he had spent 13 years as a slave, seven years of good harvest, and approximately two years of the famine. So Joseph was now in his late 30s, and his brothers had not seen him. When they get to Egypt to buy grain, guess who's in charge of all that? It's Joseph, the number two man in the land. And he recognizes them. They don't recognize him because he's changed some in those two decades. Plus, he's standing there in the government clothing and royal garb, if you will. And uh, when they asked to buy food, he accuses them of being spies. And they say, no, we're not. So he questions them. And, and he knows what he's doing. He's testing them. And so he, he questions his brothers about the family. And, and they answer truthfully. They, they say, we have an elderly father. We have a younger brother who is there and did not come back with us. But Joseph says, no, you're spies. I don't believe you. And, I, I, and, and, and I'm going to put you to the test. And so he let them buy food and take it back home, but he kept one of the ten brothers as a prisoner in Egypt and said, unless you come back, he's going to remain a prisoner, and when you come back to buy more food and to get your brother, you need to bring your younger brother Benjamin with you to prove to me that what you just told me is the truth. So they returned to Jacob without their one brother with the food in Canaan, and uh, they tell their father all that had happened. And eventually they return to Egypt to buy more food to free their brother who's in prison there. And they bring Benjamin with them. Now remember, Benjamin was Joseph's full brother because they had the same mother, Rachel. The others were half-brothers because they had Jacob as their father, but different mothers. And so Benjamin was one that that Joseph really loved, and he's going to put them to another test. So after a series of events, Joseph gives his brothers, he allows them to, to have more food and to take it back home, and, and, and all 11 brothers are free to go back. But testing them even further, Joseph has his servant place in the sack or the bag, if you will, of Benjamin, the youngest, a silver cup from his home. They leave the city. And then Joseph sends the army after them, and they catch up with them. And they say, why did you steal from Joseph? They say, we didn't. They say, yes, you did. So they lower all the bags on the ground. They search them, and they find Joseph's silver, expensive silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And they all have to go back to Egypt. And now they're standing before Joseph, scared to death, because they've been caught stealing. They don't know how it happened, but they know they're guilty, and it's not going to go well. They're arrested and taken back. To Egypt. And during the conversation, because the silver cup was found in Benjamin's bag, Joseph looks at his brothers who, who 20 plus years earlier had, had lied and connived and, and been filled with hate and jealousy and sold him as a slave. He looks at them and says, because Benjamin is the one who stole the cup, he's going to stay here as my slave. You can go home. All of you can go home and take food, but Benjamin will remain behind as my slave. And here's where we see how much the brothers really changed because they all fell on their face before Joseph pleading. But Judah, one of the brothers in particular in chapter 44 of Genesis, go ahead and look there in your Bible, please. Genesis 44, starting at verse 18. Let's read several verses and just let the story speak to us. Just let the Word of God, let, let the story here speak to you. Enter, enter into it and imagine you're sitting there watching this conversation 
take place. Then Judah approached him, approached Joseph. And remember, he doesn't know who Joseph is. To him, he's the number two man in all the country. And he said, Oh, my Lord, may your servant, referring to himself, please speak a word in my Lord's ears. And do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. Verse 19. My Lord asked his servants. Now he's referring to the first time they came to Egypt to buy, to buy food. He said to Joseph, You ask us, Have you a father or a brother? And in verse 20, we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. He said, we told you, Joseph, we told you, O king, number two in the country, that we had an elderly father and a younger brother, and his full brother had previously died, and our father really loves that younger brother. We told you the truth. Verse 21, and then you said to your servants, you said to us, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. In other words, don't come back to Egypt again unless you bring Benjamin with you. Verse 22, but we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. They understood how important Benjamin was to Jacob. Verse 23, you said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. In other words, don't you dare show up in Egypt without Benjamin. Otherwise, I will know you're spies. If you come back, you're in trouble. Verse 24, thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, when we got back home and told Jacob, we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, Go back, buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face, Joseph's face, unless our youngest brother is with us. We, we, we told our dad, We can't go back. We can't get our brother out of prison there in Egypt. We can't go back and buy any more food unless our youngest brother, Benjamin, comes with us. Verse 27, Your servant, my father, referring to Jacob, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, referring to Joseph and Benjamin, and that one went out from me, and I said, surely is torn into pieces. He's been killed by a wild animal because all they found was his coat soaked in blood, so to speak, and I have not seen him since. And if you take this one also, referring to Benjamin, from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. If you take Benjamin with you and something happens to him, I will go to my grave. It will put me in the ground. It will kill me. Verse 30. Now, therefore, when I come to, you, when, when, when I come to your servant, my father, when I, when I come to my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life. Notice he says that, that Jacob's life is so intertwined with Benjamin's. As much he loved him and favored him. When he sees him in verse 31, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. It will kill my dad if I can't bring Benjamin back home. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol, down to the grave in sorrow. For your servant, referring to himself now, Judah is referring to himself, became surety for the lad to my father. I promised my lad that I would take Benjamin's place, that I would be responsible for him. Verse 33, now therefore, please let your servant, let me, let Jacob, he said, or, or, or uh, Judah rather, let me, Judah, your servant, remain instead of the lad, instead of Benjamin, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. He said, 
to Joseph, whom he didn't know was his brother yet, hadn't recognized him. He just saw him as the vice president, if you will, as the number two in command in all of Egypt. He said, don't keep Benjamin as a slave. Let me take his place. Let me take his place and send him back to our father with my brothers, and I will stay here for the rest of my life as your slave. Verse 34, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? He said, I don't want to see my father grieve again the way he grieved when we told him Joseph was dead. That is when Joseph knew that his brothers had changed. And he proceeds in the next chapter to reveal himself to them, and they have this very emotional, powerful, beautiful reunion, if you will. But what I want you to see, what I, what I want to lift out and, and help, help us focus on for just a moment is how these brothers changed and how, how much their love had grown, how much their love had matured. Because 20 years earlier, when Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph, these brothers were emotionally immature and, and, and they became jealous and angry. And, and all of us understand that. But they had a reason to be upset with their father. They had reason to be jealous of Joseph. They, they had cause to be irritated because jo Jacob was wrong to show favoritism to Joseph. But it irritated them to the point that they allowed their emotions to get the better of them. And rather than choosing to love their young brother Joseph, in spite of that irritation, they chose to betray him, to kidnap him, and sell him as a slave, and lie to their father, telling their father that Joseph was dead. And they did that seeing their dad grieve uncontrollably, and yet they did not come forward with the truth. Their hearts were filled with hatred. And we get a sense of that when they're talking among themselves and don't know that Joseph is listening to them in their Hebrew tongue, if you will. In chapter 42, verse 21, notice this. The Bible says, They, the brothers, said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother. They were, they were talking among themselves there in Egypt, and, and they said, You know, we're guilty because of what we did to Joseph. Because we saw, listen to this, we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Here they are talking among themselves and, and they're remembering what had happened more than two decades earlier, remembering how their young 17-year-old brother Joseph pleaded with them not to sell him as a slave, begged them not to do it, and there was distress in his soul, and they wouldn't listen to Joseph, and the emotions and the irritation and the hatred went out, and they did what was wrong anyway. And now, two decades later, it's not Joseph, but it's his little brother Benjamin who is their dad's favorite. Things haven't changed. Jacob is still showing favoritism. That trait in their father that had always irritated them, guess what, was still there. Jacob had not gotten any better in that one area. He, he, he still played favorites. He was still showing favoritism to Benjamin, just like he had done to Joseph 20 years before. The difference is not in Jacob. The irritation of Jacob's behavior was still the same. The difference, the 
difference was in Joseph's brothers. Because two decades earlier with Joseph, they allowed that irritation to get them so upset, they destroyed their brother's life, sold him as a slave, and, and lied to their dad and caused him grief. For Think of this, for two decades, their dad grieved thinking Joseph was dead when he really wasn't. But now, 20 years later, Jacob is the same old man. He's playing favorites again, this time with Benjamin. It's obvious in the story that he cares more about Benjamin than the other ten brothers, the other ten sons, if you will. But this time, this time they don't want to see their father grieve again. This time they don't want to betray their brother Benjamin. They don't want Benjamin to suffer. They don't want him to hurt. And they're all pleading with Joseph, number two in command, to let Benjamin please be free and go home. We don't want that to happen to our dad again. And Judah, Judah, one of the brothers who had sold Joseph as a slave, has changed so much. His love is so mature now that he's willing to sacrifice his own life, his own future for his brother Benjamin. You could say the brothers had grown up. And in some ways, grown more than their father had in the last 20 years. They showed compassion for their dad, showed compassion for Benjamin. And you see, here's the thing. Family love requires that. If you're going to have a relationship with your spouse, your husband, your wife, you're, you're going to have relationships with your parents, relationships with your with your siblings, relationships with your, your cousins. If you're going to have relationships, you're going to have to love people even when there are things about them that irritate you. Relationships and family relationships in particular require that kind of mature love. And as the years pass, and yes, we become more aware of each other's strengths and weaknesses, the good and the bad and all of that, we are to get stronger at the ability to love the people in our lives anyway, even with those things that sometimes irritate us. As I said before, love is simply two imperfect people choosing to love each other anyway. I want to remind you real quickly of something God said to us in the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, he said this, bearing with one another, bearing with one another, it literally means to, to, to hold up under, to put up with, so putting up with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Have you ever had a complaint against your husband, a complaint against your wife, a complaint against your children, a complaint against your parents, a complaint against your brother, a complaint against your sister, a complaint against your best friend, a complaint against somebody at work. God says mature love learns how to hold them up, to put up with them and forgive them anyway when we have those complaints. Why? Because at the end of verse 13, that's what God did with us. It's how the Lord forgave us and we're to do the same thing. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love, he says, is like a glue. When we choose to have mature love, it's like a glue that holds things together. It holds relationships together. 
Now, brothers and sisters, listen. Mature love is not blind. Mature love is not blind. It's, it sees the faults in the person you love. It sees the person for who they really are, but chooses to love them anyway. God is not saying, and, and I, Steve Hogg, I'm, I'm not saying let people abuse you and walk all over you. I'm not saying that it's wrong to set boundaries. Sometimes we need to have boundaries. I'm not saying it's wrong to ever confront someone. Sometimes we need to have tough conversations. But I am saying that a mature love is able to love imperfect people. And you and I need to be glad that love means loving imperfect people because we're imperfect and we need people to love us. There are things about us that irritate them just like there are things about them that irritate us. And mature love loves anyway. Let me close with this. You know, uh, it's been said many times that opposites attract. And my wife, Monisa, and I have very different love languages. If you're familiar with Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, I encourage you to read that. We have different love languages. One of hers is gifts. She loves gifts, not because she's materialistic. She's not. She loves gifts. Gifts, I don't even score on gifts when it comes to that being my love language. And 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 gifts are important to her, but they're not to me. And so that means that, especially in the early years of our marriage, I was not very good at, at giving gifts and understanding how important they were to her. And 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 certain holidays and birthdays are important because there was there's there's things about her background and her childhood that that made her birthday really important to her and it's a sensitive subject and so when you you put the gifts together and how important birthdays are having a, a, a loving gift a meaningful gift for her on her birthday is really important and I I'm not always good at that it wasn't always good at that I'm still not great at it I'm better but I, but I really wasn't good at it in the early years and several years ago when our kids were younger we were at the beach one summer for vacation during the week of her birthday and because I had not always done well with birthday gifts, that was on her mind. Had I gotten her a gift, how, how well was I going to do that week? And she began asking me questions. I remember we went to bed the evening before her birthday the following day, and we had a conversation about it, and I wasn't very convincing, apparently. I had bought her a gift, but I didn't want her to know. But uh, she, out of her sense of need and, and my failure in the past, kind of kept pushing. Now, here's the thing about me. I don't like for people to push me. You can ask me something. Don't push me because I push back. That's you know one of the things about me that sometimes irritate her. And uh, we end up getting into this big argument. And I can remember turning on the light, getting out of bed, walking over, getting her gift where I had hidden it, and throwing it on the bed. Not a very good birthday experience that week for her or me. As the years pass, you learn things about yourself. You learn things about your spouse, things that are good and wonderful and beautiful and things that are not so good. You, you, you begin to learn how they irritate you and how you irritate them. Now, here's the thing. Some relationships do not survive because couples never learn how to truly love one, one another anyway, even with the things that irritate. There's always going to be irritation in relationships because we are imperfect people. You are imperfect. Your spouse is imperfect. Your sister is imperfect. Your brother, everybody in your life is imperfect, but so are you. And mature love sees people for who they are. 
and as appropriate, chooses to love them anyway. That's what love is. Two imperfect people choosing to love each other anyway. And by the way, God chose to love you even though he sees your faults, your sins, better than you see them yourself. God chooses to love you. Aren't you thankful? And all God's asking us to do is to love others the same way he loves us. So I encourage you to grow and have a mature love. You will be glad you did. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.